believe it all. You know, that's the truth. It is. It's crazy. One called me just a little while ago. Yeah. I ran all, all, all day, <laughs> sometimes at night. Yeah, uh, don't forget to turn off your projector. Okay. So tomorrow you guys have a meeting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, okay. That was thinking that you would come up. No. I feel embarrassed now. You better go call it now. <laughs> Yeah. Hello. Tony. Yes. Yes. It, it, I, was to, I was trying to cancel you from coming. Oh. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So when I when I decide to show that, if you'd just pop that, hit that thing for me. Sure. Sure. One of these buttons, he said. Let me say a few. Yeah, the middle one. I got it. Okay. Wait on me. And then I'm only going to show a little bit of it. And uh, yeah, and then we'll stop it because okay. it's recording. Oh, we're recording. Yeah, he put it to record. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good afternoon, everyone. First the men, then the women. There's a reason why. It's called men's ministry, <laughs> but we welcome you anyway. Uh, this evening, uh, this, well, I would say this late this afternoon, right? Yeah. Uh, we welcome each and one of you. I am uh, Pastor Tony Laporte. I am the men's ministry coordinator for the conference. And I'm saying this to you ladies because since you came here to, uh, this, uh, this afternoon, I hope that you push your husbands to come to the men's ministry retreat, which is going to be held in September 29th through October the 1st. That's the last weekend of September. And we have a good program lined up for them. And the idea for the men is to spiritually nourish them so that they can be better men. And that's what we aim for. That's our goal. So, you ladies, I don't know how you're going to do it, but make sure that your ombre makes it over there. But you don't have to accompany him. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, again, we thank you. I want to have a uh, quick prayer with... Uh, Pastor Enhard, and uh, then we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you, brother. Father Almighty, we want to thank you for the opportunity once again to come together to listen to your holy word. Father, you know what you have given uh, Brother Enhard as a message for us. We just pray that you may saturate this message with your Holy Spirit. Yes. And that each and one of us may um, understand, may grasp the meaning, and apply it to our lives, Father. So, Lord, thank you. You are a mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome, welcome to our study today. Boy, we've been having fun all week, haven't we, men? Amen. And ladies. Some of the ladies have been coming every day, and we appreciate that. We appreciate the number of ladies that are here today. You were supposed to wear a ball cap so we wouldn't know, but uh, that's all right, you know. We're just happy that you are here with us as we talk and study today. Today's subject is a very interesting subject. 
Today we're talking about, is your wife satisfied? Now, ladies, don't answer that question for you, the men. All right? This is a man's question, and so don't answer it. My wife would tell, stand up, and she'd say, I'll tell you what I think. And so, <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. We're gonna, we've been doing a drawing. Every day we have a drawing, and we give away an 8 by 10 autographed picture of a race car driver, which men like. But you know, I've found over the years, the 45, 50 years that I've been going to the racetracks and being a, a chaplain, I've found that there's just as many women at the racetrack as there are men. And a lot of women love, love NASCAR and racing. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a few minutes. But we've been doing a drawing. We'd hand out a card, people would fill it out, and then we'd have a, a drawing to give it away. Today is going to be just a little bit different. I'm going to show you here in just a few minutes a video, and this is a video that was taken back in 1957, 58, somewhere along there. It's black and white. There was no sound back then. It was taken by an 8-millimeter camera that my mother had, and uh, we owned our own racetrack back in a little town called Gold Hill, North Carolina. And uh, we would have races every Sunday. You may not know this, but NASCAR would not race on Sundays because of being a day of worship. And so my parents, being bootleggers and crooks and everything else, they did not care. So we raced on Sundays. And every Sunday afternoon, our racetrack would open up and real the people that you hear of today at racing, like the Gordons, the Myers, the people... Uh, Dale's uh, uh, gas man, which was Chocolate Myers, his, his dad and uncle came to our racetrack. Ralph Earnhardt raced on our racetrack, worked on the cars. So we had some pretty big names back there in the 50s. But around 1960, 61, NASCAR decided, hey, we're going to race on Sundays. And when they decided to do that, basically our racetrack closed down. And uh, so it lasted from about 56, 57 to about 61. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you a little bit of the video of the kind of cars that we raced back in the 50s. And it's all black and white. Then I'm going to turn the video off. And then I'm going to ask a question about those kind of races. And the one that gets the question correct can come up after the meeting and either choose this one 8 by 10 or the one 4 by 6 with three pictures in it. This picture here, I took this one myself of Dale Earnhardt, and uh, it was four months before he got killed, and he was in his car at Rockingham, North Carolina, getting ready to race, and I took the picture, and then after his death, uh, Dale Jr., his son, autographed it for me. So we'll give this one away here in a few minutes. The other pictures up here, the 4 by 6s, if you want to come up and look at them after the meeting today, you can, and you can take a few of those back with you. So, uh, Mr. Tony, if you'll turn that uh, video on, and hopefully and prayerfully it will work, so you'll get a chance to see some of this. You cannot see from back there, but it's interesting what it says. It says racing uh, is in our blood. And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, somebody put that on there, I didn't. These are the men getting ready for the race. That's my dad right there in the white. He would come to the racetrack in white, but he would end in red because they raced on clay. And uh, 
That's a young man, and that guy in white is Kenny Wiggins. He became a famous uh, dirt track racer. Uh, on this video, and I'll show you right here, the man right here beside Kenny Wiggins is Ralph Earnhardt. And uh, Ralph Earnhardt, the father of Dale Sr., and uh, he would come and work on these cars, and he would race sometimes himself. These cars would go 75, 80 miles per hour, uh, they're called micro midgets, and the way they're built, the motor on them was a Cushman motorcycle motor, and the frame here, uh, you'll see the frame on these little cars. Let's see if we can, they'll show one going around the track here in a minute. Anyway, the frame, the covering where your legs go under is the skin of a hot water heater. And so back in the 50s, you'd see hot water heaters sitting out in, that's my sister, and my younger brother, and that's one of our race cars. It's about to show Dale Sr. He was a little boy playing around the racetrack. He and I grew up together around this particular racetrack, and uh, there's some more of the drivers and mechanics. Uh, I want you to see Dale Sr. because it's kind of neat. He's about seven, eight years of age there. You can see this stuff. Uh, I received all of this when my mother passed away, and I tried to have it transferred over to this, over to that. And that's my dad driving there. And these little cars, like I say, would go 75, 80 miles an hour. The brake is on the left side. You drive with your right hand and you pull on the brake on the left. And, oh, he just broke an axle. I remember that as a, he hit a bump in the, in the racetrack. <laughs> now this looks like it's almost in color, doesn't it? And I don't know how they did that, but it was black and white. And so, I don't know how, but and the music they put with it, because it didn't have sound, does not go with these cars racing. It's more like a wedding or a funeral or something, and it just doesn't go. So I always cut that off. <laughs> but we raced these cars from North Carolina down to uh, Ocala, Florida. They're, these tr racetracks opened up all over the South. And then I found out recently that Marty Robbins raced these cars out in California. Anybody old enough to remember who Marty Robbins was? Great musician. And yeah, but he raced these cars in California. All right, I think we've seen enough of this because it goes on and on. It shows races going on in Florida and other different places. Do you see what the man's got in his hand? He's got the checkered flag. Now, do you know what the checkered flag means? That's this flag right here. I have a professional set of, I love this flag because this is the flag that tells that you are the winner. And everybody wants this flag. Now, the neat thing about uh, this, uh, the Christ Christian walk, is this. These guys, only one could win. But in the Christian walk, we can all be winners. Amen? Amen. And it's all through Jesus Christ. So, uh, all right, if you will, go ahead. This is in Florida here, uh, racing in Ocala. But you can go ahead and turn that off for me. And then we can get the lights back on. I wanted you to see a little bit of this racing uh, in different parts of the United States. See, these cars would fly. Now, here's another racetrack. It's nothing but a, out, in a, out in somebody's big field, and, and they scraped it and made it into a racetrack. Uh, the one right, this car right here 
is my dad's. It's a double alt, and he had three cars, double alt, 25, and 22. Those were his three race cars. And he had two famous guys that raced the other two, you know, which is kind of interesting. My mother was a better racer than my dad. My mother was like Dale Sr. She would knock them off the track. <laughs> she had come up, if you didn't move out of the way, my mother, and as a little boy, I'd be up in the stands watching my mother. I thought she was going to kill herself the way she'd drive those cars. You know, it was, it was wild to watch her drive those. So now how, here's how we're going to give away this 8 by 10 today. You saw the cars racing, all right? There's, if you've heard this story before, please don't raise your hand, okay? Because I want this to be those who have not seen this and heard this story that I'm about to tell. There's three things that a person back in those days would win if they won a race. So if you would, name three of the things. Who, what, before, raise your hand on this one. Who wants to try? All right, sir. That's right. They'd win a trophy. It'd be about this big if it was a regular race. If it was a championship, the trophy was like this. My dad had trophies like this, about 50 of them. All right. What was the second thing? Wow, that is correct. The second thing was cash. My dad won a championship driving these cars one time, and he won $2.25. <laughs> now, you know what they win today. Millions of dollars. I tell you, it's crazy. All right? The third thing's what I'm looking for. All right. Wait a minute. Right here. A what? <laughs> you are from the South, right? Now, I'm sure that was thrown in there someplace, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for one more thing. Yes. Well, they didn't get to keep the flag. They got to carry it around, but that's not what they received. A what? A name? Fame. No. <laughs> they got that whether they won or not. They, you know, that was part of it. No. I'm looking for one answer. Yes. What? Points, back then they didn't really have points. You just had to win, you know. All right, I've, I, I'm going to have to tell you. If it, yes. Ah, there you go. Did you hear what he said? Say it again. He got to kiss. He got to kiss the beauty queen. Make sure you get that picture before you leave today. He got to kiss the beauty queen. Now, here's the story I want to share with you. At our racetrack in Gold Hill, North Carolina, as I mentioned, they raced the cars from 56 to about 61 until NASCAR started racing on Sundays. And so they did away with it, our track. But they got to get a kiss. And so what they would do is every Sunday afternoon, there would be a new lady, a beauty queen of, of the state or the beauty queen of the county or the beauty queen of this or that. She would come out to the racetrack and she would be the one to give the kiss. And uh, there was one race car driver that wanted a kiss. He had never got a kiss. He never won. He was one of the slowest guys out there. 
I mean, while these cars were going like 75, 85 miles per hour, he was going about 45, 50 miles per hour. And of course, he was always in the back of the race. So one day, he comes to the other drivers, and he begs them. He says, will you please just let me win one time because I never get a kiss. Even my wife doesn't want to kiss me. And so, so this guy wanted a kiss from the beauty queen. So all the drivers decided, all right, we're going to give him the opportunity to win the race, and he's going to get to kiss the beauty queen. Well, they did that. Race is going on, cars are going around, and they all decide, slow up, let him pass. And he came up, he's in front for the first time. He's leading the race. But there was a slight problem. The beauty queen did not show up. <laughs> and so the announcer of the race had to go up into the stands and ask for a volunteer, which you never, never do that. Because the lady that volunteered, nobody wanted to kiss her either. And so here she was. She had already volunteered. It was all clear. She comes down out of the stands. They give her the trophy so she can hand him the trophy and kiss. Now, they didn't kiss on the cheek. They kissed on the lips. And this woman, I'm not going to tell you what she really looked like because I was just a little boy and it was probably scary for me. But anyway, you know, here she is. She's there with the trophy. The guy's in lead. He's winning the race. Last lap, he wins the race. When you win the race, you come around, you get the flag, and you go around one lap showing that you've won the race. Similar to something like this here. You, you're carrying the flag, and your left hand's, I mean, your right hand's doing the driving. So it goes like this here, and he's going down the track. Well, he comes around, and he is so excited because he's going to get to kiss the beauty queen. When he pulls up to the finish line to get his kiss and to get the trophy, he sees this woman. She's holding the trophy. In his mind, he thought all the guys were tricking him. That's what he thought. But they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know what had happened. They just wanted him to win and kiss the beauty queen. Well, he stops his car to get the trophy and supposedly get the kiss, and he's supposed to get out of the car, but he won't. And this woman wanted a kiss so bad, that little car, you saw how little they are, she crawled in there with him, and she was going to get her kiss. <laughs> and she did. And he never asked to win again. <laughs> that was the end of his victory was that day. Well, we want to get into the message today because we're going to talk about is your wife satisfied? And we're going to add to that, is your, since so many women here today, is your husband satisfied? You know, and this is what we're going to talk about from the Word of God. But before we open the Scriptures... Let us bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you can kneel, fine. If you cannot, that's perfectly fine. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne today to give you praise, to give you glory, to invite the Holy Spirit, the same power that led the men of old to write the Scriptures, to lead us to understand. 
And Father, this week we've just been having a great time. And I just pray, Lord, through the messages I've shared, that each one of us will be brought closer to Jesus. That we'll become the men and women that you want us to be. That we'll stand up for your truth. We'll be an influence upon our children, our grandchildren, and the children at the church. That we'll all stand up and be counted for. Lord, bless us right now because we ask it, because we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I pray that you brought your Bible today. I found this little quote. Don't know who said it, but it is powerful. The Bible says, and, and, it, and the Bible backs this up, love has nothing to do with what you are expecting to get. Only what you are expecting to give, which is everything. Now, you've got to read some things like that more than once. Love has nothing to do with what you are expecting to get, only what you are expecting to give, which is everything. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to a husband and wife, I've found, found out over the years that if my wife and I get into an argument, that the only reason we argue is because each one is selfish. You think about that. It takes a selfish person to argue. And so one time, not too many years ago, a couple had asked me to counsel with them. They were going to get a divorce, and they were determined to get a divorce. They headed for the divorce court. I met them at the lawyer's office to, to encourage them to wait, not to do it right away. And they said, no, we're getting a divorce. I said, give me one week, and let's see what happens. So I finally talked them into it. They said, all right, you've got one week. So I had in my car with me as we were visiting together there at the lawyer's office a little bottle. The little bottle said when husband or wife comes in and an argument begins, take one teaspoonful and hold it in your mouth till the other stops fussing. <laughs> and sure enough, they tried it for that week. At the end of, this is a true story. At the end of the week, we met back together, and they said, boy, our marriage is really so much better, but our bottle's empty. <laughs> Would you fill it up? And of course, you understand what happened is that you can't hold water or anything else in your mouth and, and argue, you know. And so in the part of the story, the thing on the bottle said this, said, hold in the mouth till the other stops arguing and fussing, and then you can swallow it. But you have to go in the other room. All right. So, and that's work. I've been married this, this year, 2023, 55 years. Can you believe it? How that woman, those of you who know my wife, how in the world did she put up with me that long? 55 years. The first 25 years, we had uh, somewhat of a deal. An agreement. The agreement went this way. My wife would take care of the house, cook, wash dishes, and so forth. I would take care of the cars, the yard work, and everything else that goes along with the outdoors. 
Now, how many of you guys believe that's a pretty good deal? Y'all are afraid to raise your hands. I'll tell you what. You are. You're afraid. All right, ladies. How many of you ladies think that's a pretty good deal? Ah, okay. A few. <laughs> a few. You want me to tell you again what the deal was? My wife would take care of the cooking, the housework, and, and dishes, and so forth. I would take care of the cars and the yard work. To me, that sounds like a pretty fair deal, right? And so the first 25 years of our marriage, that's what we did. But one day, it hit me. I want to try something a little different. So I put an apron on. And I'm not going to tell you what was underneath it. But anyway, I put an apron on, and I washed the dishes. And my wife came in and saw me washing the dishes, and she said, you are the sexiest man I've ever seen just because I was washing the dishes. <laughs> and I've been washing them ever since. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about washing dishes, but some women think that's pretty sexy. <laughs> and so anyway, we're going to talk about, are you satisfied? People are taught from childhood to adulthood what it means to be satisfied. For a young person, a new toy, a new bicycle, materialism becomes our satisfaction. Are you with me? The high schooler is taught to be satisfied if he has a lot of education in order to have a great job and lots of money and, again, materialism things. The middle-aged person is taught to make a lot of money, put away a lot, so when you retire, you will finally be satisfied. Now, I know some of you here are retired, and sometimes when I talk with you, you don't seem to be satisfied yet. The old man or old lady thinks if they are still thinking that to be satisfied means you will have plenty of insurance to cover your medicine, your hospital, and finally your nursing home bills. The old, old man or person like myself thinks to be really satisfied, you got to just lay down and go to sleep. You know what I mean? So we're going to talk about this. What is true, true satisfaction? Here's what I've found. I have found over the years, in the, being in the ministry 50-some years, that so many people are under bondage. And I'm talking about so-called religious people under total bondage, and they think they are okay. Wow. Anybody here ever been under bondage? All right. You can raise your hand to that one. I'm not going to call on you. Today, I'd like to explain how people that have rejected God's Ten Commandments are under bondage. Plus, Many that attempt to keep the Ten Commandments are under bondage. Now, did you catch that? 
those that keep the commandments and those that reject the commandments, both can be under bondage. And we want to look at that in detail. Those that reject the Ten Commandments are definitely under bondage. Let's go to the Bible. Take your Bibles, hoping prayerfully you brought those with you, to the book of Romans chapter 7. And you're going to see how this all goes along with uh, satisfaction. Romans chapter 7, and look with me at verse 14. Romans 7, 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Wow. The law of God is spiritual. But if I'm not a Christian, if I have not given my life to Christ, then I am carnal, sold under sin. Under sin. Romans 8, look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? We read this text yesterday. Is life and peace. All right? What we're seeing here is, is to be connected with Christ is true satisfaction. Let's go to another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, follow along with me, verse 17. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty or peace. Isn't it amazing when God wrote the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, as we have in Exodus chapter 20, all ten of the commandments together. By the way, all ten commandments are in the New Testament and several places in the Old Testament. So all ten commandments, yes, written with the finger of God. But the second verse of Exodus 20 says, God brought us out of bondage. And then He gives the ten commandments. Notice that? He says, I've got you, taking you out of bondage, and now here's the Ten Commandments. Why would God take us out of bondage and give us the Ten Commandments and put us right back in? Because it is not bondage to keep God's commandments. So I've found in the Bible, true bondage is when we're not keeping the commandments. Just the opposite of what so many people say about God's Word today. Let's go to John chapter 8. Two of my favorite Bible texts here. John chapter 8. Look along with me. Verse 31-32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My Word, you shall be My disciples indeed. Verse 32 of John 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. Now, these verses proves that if we're not keeping God's commandments, then we are in bondage. A simple question. Does any here ever, ever break the Ten Commandments? Anybody here have been guilty of breaking the commandments? You mean you're not like that man I told you all about yesterday that came up to me and said he hadn't sinned in over a year? You know, we've got some holy people in this world. 
You can go to some churches and you'll find some real holy people in our churches. Real saints. And uh, they've gotten so old that there are certain sins they can't commit. And they think they're victorious. I'm serious. Man, I've overcome. I'm so old I can't do that, but I've overcome. Come on now. Come on. Let's look at another group of people. Is it possible when trying to keep the commandments that you might be in bondage? Now, wait a minute. This sounds like a contradiction. If you're not keeping them, you're in bondage. If you are keeping them, you could also be in bondage. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. The book of Galatians chapter 3. You've got to use the Word of God, amen? And men, I gave you a book, first day, our Bible marking guide book. I'm encouraging every one of you to mark your Bibles, prepare yourselves, and use this method. And if you didn't get one, if you're here for the first time, I've got a few left, we'll give you one after the meeting today. But I want our men to equip themselves with the Word of God. The only way you and I can keep from sinning against God, as David said in the book of Psalm, he said, I hide God's Word in my heart that I will not sin against God. It's our only power, the Word of God. All right, Galatians 3, 24, 25. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Whoa. Ellen White says that this is the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law. Interesting quote, interesting thought. I should have had the quote here with me, but you can look it up. The law was our schoolmaster. So what does this mean? Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Look with me. Galatians 2, 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Did you hear that? If righteousness comes by the Ten Commandments or any law, then Christ is dead in vain. You're in Galatians. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 9, Galatians 4, verse 9. But now, after that you have, not, after, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Galatians 5, look at verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, now these are strong words. Look at verse 18, Galatians 5, 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Wow. Now, wait a minute, something, uh, are we in the right church? Am I in the right church? Uh, yeah, I think I am. I know I am. Look at Romans chapter 8. 
I want you to see a number of Bible texts of what we're talking about just now. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. Romans 8, 15. The Bible says, For if you have not received the spirit of bondage again, uh, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For if you, if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, are we under bondage? Now listen to this text. 1 Timothy, turn with me. I was going to just quote it, but I think we need to see it for ourselves. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 1, 9. Knowing this, that the law, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Did you know that text was in there? <laughs> the law is not made for the righteous man. Wow. To me, what we're studying right now is one of the most important subjects that we'll ever, ever study. To know what these verses are talking about. You know why? Because we'll argue with people and sometimes we'll even tell people, well, now that Galatians Paul was all messed up when he said what he said. And uh, that's confusion. And Paul, as Peter said, Peter did some, wrote some things that were a little confusion or confusing to certain people. All right? Why does the Bible say right here that the law is not made for a righteous man? All right? Well... I'm going down the road. It's in my blood. Speed limit's 55. I'm going 75. I see the man coming in the opposite direction. All right, are you with me? I actually see, saw that today. Boy, I can make this story be right on target. I came off the interstate to come toward Waynesville. You know, when you're coming off of 40, and I come off of there, and I was wondering why everybody in front of me was going so slow. And so I kicked it, and there he was. As soon as I came off that exit, he was sitting right there looking right at me. What did I do? <laughs> do you know why I put my foot on the brake and tried to slow down real quick? Why? Fear, Bre breaking the law. Now, wait a minute. Speed limit is 55. What if I come off the interstate, cop sitting right there, and I'm going 55? Am I going to? No. Don't miss the point here. When we're breaking the law, we are under the law. When we're not breaking the law, are you with me? We're still under it. But hey, I don't have to worry about it. Because I'm in love with Jesus, and Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. It's not for the righteous man. Well, that verse, listen to what it says. 1 Timothy 1 
Verse 9, I only read the first part. It says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the man who's driving 75 when he should be going 55. For the ungodly, for the sinners, for unholy, profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law is to point out sin. If I'm connected with Christ and I'm walking with Christ, I don't have to look at all the rules because I'm following them because I'm in love with Jesus. We need some more love, amen? All right, here's another question. Is it possible to keep the law and be in bondage? Yes. Is it possible to reject the law and be in bondage? Yes. Look with me in the Bible. Let's let the word speak for itself. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 36. John 8, 36 says this, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. I love it. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, going back to the book of Galatians again, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. God wants me, He wants you to come out of bondage. How do we come out of bondage? We give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's power. In the cross, amen? amen? Power in the cross. Look with me, Hebrews chapter 2. Now these are some wild and beautiful Bible texts. We're about to read them. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Hebrews 2, verse 15. He says, I'm going to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. God wants to bring us out of bondage. Turn back to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. For God, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision for a new, but a new creature. Wow. Ephesians chapter 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Keeping the law, don't miss this, keeping the law to save yourself is total bondage. Uh-huh. I didn't even hear one amen. <laughs> Not keeping the law is bondage. Keeping the law, don't miss it, 
Keeping the law to gain salvation is bondage. Not keeping the law is also bondage. So how can the two almost sounds like opposites? Well, the answer is Jesus is the answer. If I'm keeping the law because I'm in love with Jesus Christ and I'm following the law, because Jesus said it's a command. He said, if you love me, do what? It's all a love relationship. But am I saved by the law? No. Not at all. I'm saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Use another little police story. We got any policemen here today? They don't like this one, but anyway. Uh, I'm going to share this little story. There's a highway near Columbia, South Carolina, and it's Highway 378. Marty, you ever been on that one? That 370, 378 from Columbia would take you all the way to Conway, and you're right there at Myrtle Beach. It's so much better than the interstate. Because the interstate, it's just all the trucks and cars, especially if you're riding a motorcycle, 378 is the route. It's all country, and you see very little traffic. It's amazing. Try it sometime. And uh, I, just, I was just on it a few weeks ago. Well, here a few years ago, I'm out on three, 378, and uh, there are some places on 378 you can drive and you will not see traffic for miles. So we're cruising along. I'm driving. My wife's on the passenger side. We're just cruising along, not paying any attention of the speed limit. So I'm going down the road, and I was probably going 80, 85, 55-mile speed zone, speed zone. And I wasn't paying attention. I'm just cruising right down the highway. And then I saw a car coming in the opposite direction. I'm going this way. It's coming this way. And it hit me as soon as he got right at me. I realized it was an unmarked police car. He went around past me, swung that car around in the middle of the road, lights taken off, you know, Brighton, and I just pulled right over. I knew I was the guy because I was the only car on the road. So I pulled over. He comes up behind me, walks up to the car, says, you know, you were flying pretty low. I said, sir, the road was just open. I wasn't paying any attention. He said, you know, you were going probably 85, 90 when you passed me. I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's, it's in my blood. <laughs> and you know, they always ask you for your driver's license and your registration, so I, I give it to him. But before I gave it to him, he asked me a question. He said, when I passed you, did you have your safety belt on? I said, sir... Let me explain why sometimes I wear it and sometimes I don't. My dad was in a terrible race one time, a terrible wreck, where his car flipped up in the air, came down, caught on fire, and because he had a safety belt on, he almost lost his life. 
but somebody come running along with a machete and cut the safety belt and pulled him out. Just Well, I didn't even get to tell him that much. He said, I don't want to hear your story. Did you have your safety belt? How in the world? That, they must have eagle's eyes. How they can see that. I was going 80, 85 miles an hour. He comes this right by me, and he saw I didn't have my safety belt on. How did he do that? What you was? Just a few years ago. So he takes my license, registration, goes back, comes back. He's got a big smile on his face. He says, I see that you're an Earnhardt. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket today for speeding because you probably can't help it. <laughs> but he said, I am going to give you a ticket for not having your safety belt on. Wow. Two weeks later, I'm going down the road. I'm in a hurry. I've got an appointment. It's already dark, and I've got to get to my appointment. I'm in a 30 in a city area, 35 mile an hour speed zone. I'm going 55. A light comes on behind me. I'm going to miss my appointment, it looked like. So I pulled into a driveway. He pulls up behind me. Have you ever tried to put your safety belt on real quick? And the thing catches. And it won't go. And, and I'm standing there. I'm sitting there pulling on this thing and trying to get it around my... And, and, and about that time I look over and he's standing there and he says, you got a problem? And I let it go. He said, don't I know you? Same cop. You guys that live in that area, I want to tell you something. I don't think they only got, only got one cop. He said, look, may I see your driver's license and your registration? He comes back. He says, I'm not going to give you a ticket for speeding because you're an Earnhardt. But he said, I am going to give you a ticket for not wearing your safety belt. Twice by the same cop. Two weeks later. It's a Sunday afternoon. Now, any of you who have ever lived around Columbia, South Carolina, you know there is a big lake there called uh, Lake Mary. And on, at, on Sunday afternoons, Lake Mary, people on the boats and people on the banks, they're drinking and they're carrying on. Well, I've got an appointment that Sunday afternoon. I pull out of the subdivision where we live there in Lexington, South Carolina, right by Columbia. I pull out. My phone's lying there on the passenger side and the phone starts ringing so I reach over to get my phone and when I did my vehicle swerved just a little bit across the yellow line and of course I swerved it back I had the phone perfectly fine but there was about six or seven cars coming in the opposite direction and right in the middle of those six or seven cars was a police car he swerved around lights flashing comes up behind me I'm right there at a big, big Methodist church drive parking lot, and I pull in there. He pulls in behind me. He comes walking up to the car, and he said, the reason I'm stopping you is Sunday afternoon and in this area 
A lot of people are drinking on Sunday afternoon. And he said, when you swerved across that yellow line, I said, sir, I came right back. He said, I know, but he said, you swerved and I thought you might be drinking. Oh, by the way, he said, don't I know you? <laughs> same, same cop. I couldn't believe it. And uh, he said, I'll be right back. He went to his car and I thought, you know I might be arrested. <laughs> and this is going to look good in the paper. You know? So he comes up to the car. He's got a whole handful of Chick-fil-A coupons. And he says, here, I'm going to give you a whole stack of them because you got your safety belt on. He said, you've learned your lesson, haven't you? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, would you like some autographed pictures? And I had a whole stack of them, and I was giving them to him. <laughs> Just thanking him. Two weeks later, I took a group of young people from our Christian school there in Columbia, South Carolina. We went down to Taco Bell to get something to eat. So we're in the restaurant there eating, and I looked over in the corner of the restaurant, and there was probably five, six policemen eating their lunch. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be a good influence upon all these teenagers that I brought to Taco Bell. So I decided to go over and tell those policemen how much I really appreciate what they do. So I went over, and I was talking to them, and I said, gentlemen, I tell you, I really appreciate what you do. And one of the policemen said, well, you know, we need more policemen. There's not enough. And that's true. That's true today. And I said, well, yeah, I, under, I understand. I understand. And about that time, one of those policemen sitting there said, don't I know you? <laughs> and I looked back at the young people I had with me, and I kind of whispered, and I said, do you have any Taco Bell coupons? <laughs> because I knew what it was costing me. And he said, no, Mr. Earnhardt, but he said, I've got a stack of Chick-fil-A if you want some. <laughs> I want to tell you what, did he show grace to me? I mean, three times, you know, praise the Lord, he showed grace. And here's what the Bible says. Take your Bible, listen to it, let's read it. Psalm 90, verse 14. Psalm 90, verse 14. The Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 14, Oh, satisfy. You see that word? We're talking about satisfaction, ladies, men. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Did you catch that? True satisfaction comes through the mercy of God. You're in Psalm, look at 107. Psalm 107, verse 9. Psalm 107, verse 9, For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. You want to be satisfied? 
Look at Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide what? Satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Wow. Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, verse 11. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought, make fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Matthew 1, 21. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Satisfaction. Is your wife satisfied? If she's given her life to Jesus Christ and is in love with Jesus Christ, is the husband satisfied? If he's given his life to Jesus Christ, if he surrendered everything to Him. Ladies, some of you didn't hear this since you weren't here yesterday. But we learned something yesterday about men and women. And that is this. Without Christ, we are capable of committing anything and everything. This is why I need Christ. I need a Savior. Amen. It comes only, only, true satisfaction comes only by surrendering to Jesus Christ. Micah, Old Testament, chapter 7. Just a couple more verses. Is it supper time yet? What time is it? What is it? Oh, I'm, boy, I'm right on target. That's pretty good. Micah, chapter 7. Micah 7, and I'm going to read here verse 18 and 19. Mike, and I'm in Amos. Let me find Micah. Oh, it's this way. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in what? Mercy. And I love verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Amen. What a God that's willing to to take my sins. And I don't know about you, unless you're already perfect, I've got a lot of sins. And my God is willing to cast them into the depths of the sea. And He's also willing to give you and I the power to live the Christian life. One verse left. Well, I should say two verses because it's in the same chapter. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Here it is. Isaiah 65, 55. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a God. What a God. He's waiting for me, and he's waiting for you. Brothers and sisters, listen closely. Here we are, 2023. Been a Christian 50-some years. I thought Jesus would have come a long time ago. But you know what? I'm sure glad He waited for me and for you and for those of you who are here today and don't feel like you have a relationship with Christ. If you're one of those that you've been struggling You've been battling. You've been fighting against Him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And if you want peace and if you want happiness and if you want satisfaction, turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Because amazingly, immediately, when we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, set me free, He will. That's the amazing thing. He will do it. That moment, 50-some years ago, when I turned my eyes upon Christ, when my wife read those verses I shared with you guys just a couple days ago, that my body belonged to God and I had been bought with a price and I walked out of that bedroom when my wife read it to me from the Word of God and I looked up into the starry clouds in the sky and I saw... And I praised God and I said, God, if you're real, if you're really true, please set me free. And He did. (laughs) It's the easiest thing in all the world. And people try to make it difficult. Mr. Earnhardt, you've got to do this now. If you do this and you do this and this and this and you get all these things together and you do all these things, then you just might make it. I don't go to church on the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath in order to gain heaven. I do it because I'm in love with the one who's paid the price for me to go to heaven. If we can get that mindset that we're in love with Christ so much that we want to do everything He says in this book, and there's where peace and happiness and joy is going to come, it's not going to be found in materialism or material things. It's going to be found in the Word of God through Jesus Christ. You see, I don't have to look up to you. I don't have to look up to the priest or the preacher. I look up to the creator of the universe. He's my God. He's my Lord. And He's the one that's in charge. I challenge every one of you. Start spending some time in this book. And the first book I recommend that you spend time in in is the book of John. It's because that's my name. No, I'm just teasing. The book of John. Because here's what I've found. When I first became a Christian, 
I started in Genesis. And I read and I read. And so and so begot so and so and so and so begot so and so and so and so begot so and so. Man, there were so many begot people. Now it's important, don't get me wrong. Everything in this book is important. Everything. But I started, I decided to start in John, and it's amazing the way the book of John is written, is written in such a way, once you read the book of John and really meditate upon it, then it makes it easy to read the other books. So I recommend it highly. 2023. I don't know what else can happen. But then again, I have to say this. We haven't seen anything yet. It boggles the mind. But you know what? We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry about it. Because if we're connected with Christ and in tune with heaven, my God says this to me and you. I will make sure that your bread and your water shall be sure. And if I end up having to die for Christ, hey friends, man, the resurrection's coming. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's going to burst the eastern sky. It's going to split wide open. And all those millions of angels are coming. And some of us here today, we have more than one angel because you're always getting into something. So God gives you two or three. And when He comes, maybe, and when you see two or three coming by your side, you're going to say, boy, I must have been a pretty rough character. (laughs) But I'm going to see my angel face to face and then I'm going to see my God face to face let us pray Heavenly Father we give you praise we give you glory King of Kings Lord of Lords it's almost over and what we're seeing and all this stuff that's happening the prophets of old would have loved to be living right now because this is the time this is the day when things are really, really shaping up. Lord, when you come, I pray that every one of us here will look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. Save us, Father, not in our sins, but from our sins. Give us victory, Lord. Mold and make us the kind of people you want us to be. And Lord, help us to tell others the gospel message. Jesus loves you. This we know, for the Bible tells me so. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you for coming. Don't miss tomorrow. We're going to finish up tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock, and we're talking about Tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock, standing on or by your commitment. God bless you. Have a good day.